Well, there are many things in life uh, that we each face and deal with. I mean, it's kind of the facts of life, that no matter what your story is, there's things that we all face, right? I mean, maybe you've heard the old proverb that there's only two guarantees in life of death and taxes. Um, and hopefully, my hope would be, you know, that your parents have uh, prepared you for those in some way or another. I hope that you're prepared for death in the sense of you, you want to live your life with purpose. You, you want to live a life that's healthy, you know, so we can make the most out of the days under the sun that we have. Um, you know, I just had my, my uh, uh, five-yearly uh, physical checkup. The doctor, first question, are you exercising? And I said, I have three kids under the age of seven. He said, okay, good answer. Um, you know, I'm sure your mom said, hey, make sure you're always wearing clean underwear. You never know what's going to happen. Death can happen at any moment. Uh, so are you prepared? Are you equipped for just that aspect of life? Are you ready for taxes? You know, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into that. You know, getting and keeping a job, working hard, um, filing your taxes and knowing how to do that, finding ways to minimize your tax burden and tax responsibility uh, in legal ways. Uh, but there's, there's so much more beyond Death and taxes. I mean, those may be the, the two guarantees in life, but there's so much more that each one of us has to engage with if, if there's breath going through our lungs still, if there's life in our body and blood coursing through our veins. Uh, let me give you some examples. Our daily diet. We all have to eat something. And I love that just what you eat can still be called a diet. So I've been on a diet ever since I've been born. Um, and, and our relationships. Even a hermit had parents at one point or another. And, and so uh, in some way, Large or small, we have relationships with other people in our family, in our community. And this is something that's true of all of us. We all have to deal with aspects of transportation. We all have responsibilities and commitments that we've made. Uh, if you've got your Bibles with you, go ahead and open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you have digital and you want to go digital with your Bible, awesome. Turn on your Bibles and go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. If you need a Bible, take one out of the seat in front of you. Call it your own. Put your name on it. Name it if you want. That's kind of weird, but that's fine. Uh, make notes in it. Write questions in it. We want to get the Word of God in each person's hands. Um, but we're going to look at here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Solomon is going to address another aspect of life that we all face. And that's the aspect of authority. Every one of us, in some way or another, lives under someone's authority. So before we kind of see what Solomon has to say about this, let's recap. Who is Solomon? Why should we care what he has to say? Well, remember, Solomon was the king of Israel. He was uh, the wisest person of his time and of all time. Remember, God said, hey, what would you like? I want to bless you with something. And he said, I would want wisdom to know how to lead my people. And God was so uh, just pleased with that. He said, I will make you the wisest person on earth that, that, that ever that is and that ever will be. And so Solomon had all this wisdom. He had all this wealth as the king. He had all this opportunity to try anything he wanted to in life. And so what does he try? He says, you know what? I'm going to try a little bit of everything, and I want to pursue meaning, right? That's what he set out to do with his life, is to pursue meaning. What is the purpose of life? And now here he is at the end of days sharing with us Ecclesiastes. Here's all the things that he has learned. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 8 where he's sharing with us what it looks like to live under authority. Well, some of you may instantly hear that and say, you know what, Steve, you may think that, that we all live under authority, but no, we don't. Uh, I, I don't live under authority. Yes, you do. You're probably just not doing it very well if you feel that way. Um, so in some aspect or another, we all live under authority. Whether we submit ourselves to it or not is a whole other question, but there are authorities in our lives. 
one that changes over time is that of our parents. We were all children at one point and had parents who were in a position of authority over us. If you're married, there's a mutual submission. There's a mutual authority in each other's lives that we have. Even friendships and relationships, there's a, a way in which we submit ourselves uh, to the authority of our friends and loved ones. Uh, if you have a job, your boss, you submit and sit under their authority. Our government is, is another one uh, that, that is over our uh, lives. They have authority in our lives, local, state, federal. Even those of us uh, who acknowledge we're under authority, we, we all still struggle with it, right? And, and that's because we have the same problem. Every one of us here, in some way or another, has a rebellious heart. We can all relate to that. We can all find different ways where we've rebelled in our own lives. This is, this is the heritage of our country is, hey, we're fed up with something. We're going to rebel and, and make our own country. And, and so it's not always a bad thing. It doesn't always produce a bad thing when it's first and foremost submitted to God. But this is in our heritage. It's in our genetics. I mean, it's just in our genes to have a rebellious heart. We see God makes the first man and makes the first woman, puts them together in a garden with one rule, don't eat of this one tree. Here is an awesome garden for you to enjoy, and, and we'll walk through the garden together in the cool of the day, and, and everything will be paradise. But this one tree, don't eat of it. What do we do? Hey, that looks good. We eat of it. It's our rebellious heart. The one thing we're told not to do is the one thing we run to. I, no one taught my, my son, who is now 15 months, um, to stand up on everything. And he's always told, sit down, son, sit down. We have this little chair that clips onto the table, and um, you know, he'll stand up in it and, and just want to reach across the table for something. Like, sit down, son, sit down. We, we go to the grocery store, we put him in the cart, and he's got to stand up in that. I mean, everything. We were at the, the zoo yesterday in the stroller, and you know, I, I know these all have straps, so we could just strap them in, and we get to that point, but, um, you know, he... He doesn't just stand up in it, but he tries to slither under it, you know, and just get out of this thing. It's because he's got a rebellious heart. There's sometimes he wants what he wants when he wants it, and he's going to take steps to get it. No one taught my daughter to get out of bed 27 times after being told to stay in bed. It's time to go to sleep. We just have a rebellious heart. No one taught me how to do it, and yet I did it, and I still do it. I learned very quickly that my mom got to a breaking point if I kept asking her, I want to do this, mom, I want to do this, I want to do this. No, 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 no. She got to this point where it was kind of like her, her like, I mean, she, she's pulling out the nuclear football, you know, her, her last move, and she's pushing the button. She says, fine, do what you want. And the first time I heard that, I felt terrible. I'm sorry, mom, I didn't mean to make you feel bad, and I didn't do it. But then my rebellious heart was like, well, wait, wait a minute, Steve. She said, go for it. It's just, it's just fine. Do what you want. You can do what you want. And, and the second I was able to kind of disconnect that heart from it and be like, whatever, I, I knew that as long as I held out until I got to that point where it was the fine, do what you want, I get my way because I had a rebellious heart. And, and I still do. There might be some things in life that I love to do that I would, I would, it would be a joy for me to do. Maybe it's even something for someone else. And someone would say, hey, Steve, can you do this? I would be glad to. I would love to. Hey, Steve, do that. No way. The second it goes from an ask to a tell, my rebellious heart takes over. And it's like, nope, nope, you told me to do that. Forget you. Those are the, can you relate to some of that? We all sit under some kind of authority, and we all struggle with it because we have that rebellious heart. So Solomon's going to speak to that. He's going to give us some wisdom that we can walk away with here this morning as we're seeking the heart of God. Uh, kind of the, overall, what he's going to bring us to is this. 
that a life best live is one that submits first and fully to the authority of God. A life best lived is one that submits first and fully to the authority of God. So we acknowledge that there's all these other authorities that we're under, but we're going to say first and foremost before anything else, I want to submit my life under the authority of God. That's where Solomon's going to take us. So Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 1. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. Depending on who you talk to, there's scholars that disagree on where uh, this verse should go as far as what it's in reference to. Some would say, hey, this is kind of a rhetorical question, a closing to the previous statements he was making in chapter 7. Others would say, no, this is a kind of an intro to where he's going in chapter 8. Honestly, it doesn't truly matter because the point still stands. Basically, Solomon's reminding us, hey, wisdom rocks. I mean, this, this stuff is great. As far as what we can know, yes, there's a lot that we can't know, but the things that we can know can be discovered through wisdom, so much so that it brings joy in our lives. You can see it on someone's face. Have you ever met someone like that? Who just has a depth of wisdom, and whether they're smiling or not, there's just a joy or a peace that they communicate through their face. That's what Solomon is hitting on here. Hey, guys, wisdom rocks. This stuff is gold. And here's what it's taught me is what he's saying. So we're not going to unpack every single aspect of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. There is a lot, a lot. I mean, we could, we could go through almost line by line and really break this down. We're going to kind of hit on some of the major points, but I would invite you to take this home and crack open Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and, and look at some of the lines that we don't unpack as much or go back to those and, and look at them a little deeper and, and spend some time truly studying God's Word. Here's one place you could start with Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Let's go to verse 2 here. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in, in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? And so this is the king, King Solomon, telling us how to behave with the king. Okay, so he should know a little bit about this, and this is his wheelhouse. Uh, there's some, some things that might kind of throw you off there because of God's oath to him. What, what is that talking about? Uh, the way it's worded in, in the ESV, which is the, the translation I read, is, is kind of confusing. Um, one way we can look at this, it, it's basically uh, in ancient days, they would make an oath to the king. So when a new king was put in place, you would make an oath of obedience, and it was believed that you're making this oath before God. In essence, you're making the oath to the king, but you're saying, you know, I, I make this before God. I want, I want God here to kind of bless us and be a part of it. And so he said, hey, you know, one would swear this oath to a king. You're, you're under the authority of the king, but you're making this under the authority of God. Another way you can look at this is uh, whenever I do premarital counseling, um, one of the things I talk about is, hey, if we're walking this road together, uh, if you've asked me to be part of your wedding, that in some aspect it, it communicates to me that you want God to be a part of, of the ceremony as opposed to going to a, a judge or just, you know, a, a rent-a-pastor. Um, and so you probably want God's perspective. And so we walk through what does that look like uh, to have God as, as, as the central figure of your relationship, of your marriage I talk about the neat thing about your wedding is everyone is there for you. It's all your friends and family and coworkers, and they're all there for you. It's one of the weirdest and most awesome days of your life. And you gather together, and here you stand before God, before God, and you make an oath to each other. So the promise is to each other, but it's under the authority of God. And so that's kind of what, what Solomon is talking about here. He's saying, hey, th this is what happens. You make this promise to your king. 
He's talking about authority in his life. And the example he's given is this one of a monarchy, the government that was in rule at that time. But the truth of this really applies to all the authorities in our lives. And so we can really apply this to every different kind of aspect of authority. And so really one thing that we can pull from this of where Solomon is going is this, that we should be cautious about who we submit to. And really what submission is, is, is giving someone authority in our life, right? So we should be cautious about who we submit to. We should be cautious about who we give authority to in our life under the sun. Well, why? Well, because every person is a sinner. Every one of us is broken in some way or another. We can go all kinds of different places in Scripture to unpack that. But we even see some of that already here in, in verse 3 and 4 where Solomon's talking about the king, how he does what he pleases. Who can question him? Who does he answer to in essence? He's asking there. And anyone in the seat of authority has control in our lives. And, and so if we're not careful, we could find ourselves, we get this in verse 3, taking a stand for an evil cause. Again, another way you can understand this is, as the NIV unpacks, it says, do not stand up for a bad cause. If we're not careful about the authorities we find ourselves under, we could be in a position where now we're taking a stance for a bad cause. I was trying to think of an example of this, one that came to mind was when some of the different changes came out uh, with Obamacare and the healthcare reforms and whatnot, uh, there were some companies that were saying, hey, we don't want to be included in this because we now feel like we're providing for what we believe to be abortive. Now, uh, I know that there's a hot topic issue in there. Um, what their belief was is that there's some, not all, but some of the meds that they would have to pay for have the potential to be abortive, meaning they could take the life of an unborn child. And so because these companies, or these individuals running these companies said, hey, we believe that we're first uh, responsible to God. They said, we want to do what we can to change this system. We want to be careful not to be tied up in what we would see as a bad cause, what we would see as evil. And so we need to be cautious about who we submit to. It'd be like all of a sudden getting a job for a company, you have no idea what they do. And all of a sudden you find out they do something terrible and you're, you're a part of it. So we need to be cautious about who we submit and give authority to under the sun. It, we, we need to be cautious when we put ourselves under the authority of teachers and, and universities and know, okay, what, what, what's their goal? What's their mission? What do they believe? Because we may all of a sudden find ourselves a part of a bad cause. I thought of cults in this picture. I have a friend of mine who came to Christ. Her story is an interesting one. She came to Christ through this, this one organization, this one group. Uh, they, they, they talked about Jesus, but there were some things that were off, and um, they're very friendly and very welcoming, but very quickly, once she kind of got integrated in, into the, the community, she began to see some of those things that were off, and the next thing she realized, she's like, I'm, I'm in a cult. <laughs> this, is, this is not healthy. This is not right. This is not true, and she got out of that and was able to find a Christian community and, and grow in her faith in Jesus. And so if we're not cautious about who we submit ourselves to, we could end up taking a stand for an evil cause because we are all broken. And so kind of if we play this out, if all people are broken, this leads us to the same conclusion that all institutions are broken, right? Because what's an institution? It's made up of a bunch of broken people. The government, local, state, and federal is broken. Need I say more? I don't need to unpack that one anymore. Marriage. Two sinners coming together, living in close quarters, and all of a sudden everything's perfect, right? Mm -mm. It's like turning up the heat. And, I mean, if you want to see where you're weak, go get married. I wouldn't encourage that as the only reason to go get married, but, but when you get into that relationship, it's going it's to reveal your cracks. It's going to reveal your weaknesses. 
Why? Because you're two broken people coming together, trying to do life together in close quarters. Doesn't mean it can't be done. These things, there's a way when we submit first and foremost to the authority of God and, and to the authority of others in our lives, there's a way to work it out, and there's grace and there's forgiveness and all these things, but we need to acknowledge at, at its onset that all institutions are broken. Businesses in the workplace, schools and universities, even our relationships, so let's not be too quick to submit ourselves to those authorities. Um, sometimes when I've heard pastors preach on things like this and they go through that list, something I hear left off sometimes is the church. And it shouldn't be. That the church is broken too. We're full of broken people. We are sinners in need of a Savior. And we found that in Jesus. And that's why we proclaim Christ crucified. Because there is salvation and redemption found in Him. And so, is every church broken a little bit? Yeah, we have our issues. We have ways that we can grow. We have ways that we need to improve. We have ways that we need to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Because we're a bunch of broken people trying to do life together. I'll take a brief moment, a tangent on this point as far as uh, broken churches. Um, I've seen some people use this as an excuse to what we call church shop, where they just kind of go from one church to the next church to the next church, and they never really find a place to call home. Or maybe they, they, they say they do, but um, when, you know, when something gets difficult, when that brokenness is revealed, Instead of saying, hey, this is the family of Christ that I am a part of locally. Let's work through this together. Let's seek restoration. Let's seek forgiveness. Let's offer grace. Let's walk together and see what God would have for us. Instead of doing that, they say, there's sinners here. Let's go somewhere else. And they go to another church, which is broken, which is full of sinners in need of a Savior. And the pattern just continues to cycle. Think about it this way. Church shopping to find a home is healthy. That's being cautious to, to who you, what authority you put yourself under. If you're, gonna, if you're new to an area or you're moving, you say, I'm going to investigate different churches in the area. I want to see who they are and what they believe. In, and I want to be cautious before I put myself under the authority of a local body of believers. That's healthy to find a home. But church shopping to avoid a home, that's going to bring about your own demise. It's going to bring about more dishealth in your own life. Because you never quite deal with your own issues because every time it gets difficult, you go somewhere else. So church shopping to find a home, I think is great. That's being cautious. But church shopping to avoid one is not. That's just foolishness. So Solomon is saying, be cautious about who you submit to under the sun, whether it be a government, a king, or, or anyone else. All right, let's keep going. Verse 5. Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there's a time and a way for everything, although man's troubles lie he lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spear or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. So kind of the question that comes up here is, if every person, if every institution is, is broken, is full of sinners, how do we handle brokenness? And I want to kind of answer this broad question with a broad answer. It's we seek a just way to live under the authority of others. We need to seek a just way to live under the authority of others. And that's some of what Solomon is unpacking here. For there's a time and a way for everything. Um, we will know the proper way. There's a just way in that. It's to keep his commands, the, the commands of God, to seek his wisdom. And so, so what's he saying? So when we find ourselves in a position where, where there's an injustice, what, what do we do? We turn on the bat signal and go vigilante, right? Right? No. That's not what Solomon's saying. He says, find a just way 
to live under the authorities that you live under. Find the just way. Steve, how, how do I do that? That's difficult at times. Well, we need to seek the commands of God and his wisdom. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, I, I hope I, I catch everyone with this example. Um, imagine uh, you're mistreated by your boss or maybe uh, take it out of the workplace and put it into the school or university. You're mistreated by a teacher um, or just... If that hasn't hit you yet, find a person of authority and they've mistreated you. Well, what should you do? What should you do? There's a bunch of different things we could do as we unpack God's word and say, what are the commands of God? What, what is his heart that we should pursue? Well, one, we could look at Matthew 18. Now, Matthew 18 speaks specifically about a brother or sister in Christ. But when there's conflict between us, here's what we do. It talks about first you go to that person and have a conversation with them and reveal, hey, here's how you hurt me. Here's where I see the sin in your life. And if they don't listen, they take someone else with you. And if they still don't listen, then you bring it before the elders. And there's a whole process for what that looks like. And I realize that's in the context of Christian brothers and sisters, but there's still some wisdom in that to apply even outside of that, to go to someone directly and speak with them when we feel like there's been, a, been wronged, when there's been mistreated by someone who's got authority in our life. We could flip through the pages of the scripture and find all kinds of passages that would talk about being a people who offer grace and forgiveness, being quick to offer forgiveness, not just a second chance. We don't just forgive once, but, but not just seven times and not just 70 times or 70 times seven times. And we should be a people who are quick to forgive. Or be mistreated by someone in authority, uh, by, by a boss or by a teacher. Let's seek justice within the means of the institution. Now, I realize I just said all institutions are broken. It doesn't mean they fail 100% of the time. And, and just about everyone you can think of has a way in which we can seek justice. We can work within the authority that we're under, even if that's uh, what was brought about, the, the mistreatment. There's a way to, to seek out, okay, how can I work within this? How can I obey my government? If it's something with my government, how can I um, honor God in the way that I seek justice? Specifically in the concept of uh, work, we can jump to Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. We can acknowledge that we're called to work as if we're working for God. It's so that changes the dynamics some, right? No longer is it a, hey, I have rights and this is what I have a right to, but it's I want to work in a way that makes much of Jesus. If that means I need to lay down some of my rights so that you can see Jesus more clearly, then let me do that. Let me be a humble person who's willing to lay aside my rights so that others could see Jesus more clearly. I want you to pay attention to verse 8 here. Uh, Solomon says, wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. It's a great reminder. So just so you remember, wickedness does not bring about salvation. It, it won't save. It won't deliver you from your brokenness. Well, why is he putting this in here? Well, I think because a lot of us, we jump to that path. We jump to a path of, of wickedness in the form of retaliation. Because remember, we all have rebellious hearts, right? It's so our rebellious hearts, whenever we're wronged, we want to retaliate. We want, well, they did this to me. I'm going to do that to them. I'm going to get them in trouble. I want to fire back. So Solomon's reminding us that wickedness will not deliver those who are given to it. It doesn't produce the fruit that you're longing to see. It doesn't bring about justice. So let us seek a just way to live under the authority of others. He kind of closes out this thought with verse 9. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. And he begins to unpack this point here that 
I put this way, that those in authority will disappoint us. Those in authority apart from God will disappoint us. When man is placed in authority over man, that there is pain, that there is hurt. That's just how it plays out. This rings true of every list of authorities that I kind of walked through already in our government, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our business, in our schools, in our churches, that when we are in authority over others, there is pain, there is hurt, which again, doesn't mean that they're broken to the point where they can't do good, where God can't work in them and through them. It's an opportunity for God to work in and through those organizations and institutions. But we just need to remember that, when we're, that those in authority will disappoint us. And so what do we do? Well, in light of this, do not place man's authority in the seat of God's, okay? We cannot put man's authority in our lives in a seat reserved for God. Meaning this, it is God who has the authority in our life to bring about salvation, the forgiveness of our sins when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Basically, uh, God would say that because of the ways we've gone against his word that separates us from his presence, the Bible calls that sin, the ways that we've missed the mark. And so in the Old Testament, that's why they would have sacrifices because uh, an an- blood would need to be shed to pay the price to satisfy that sin. And so an animal's blood would be shed instead of our own. But that was an insufficient method. And so God, knowing this, offers Jesus who lives a perfect and sinless life. And he was able to because he was both fully man and fully God. So when he laid down his life at the cross, it was a sufficient sacrifice. His blood was shed so that when we trust in him, our sins are forgiven past, current, and those to come. We repent and turn from our ways and trust in him. And then he overcame death on the third day, rising from the grave, proving himself to be God. This is where salvation is found. This is where redemption, where we are bought back at a glorious price. This is where grace is found. We can reflect these in our authorities. If you have authority in someone's life, you can reflect these and hold that authority over someone in a way that would bring God glory. But ultimately, these roles, salvation, redemption, and grace, come from the Father. We can't put man in that seat. And yet we're tempted to all the time. We're tempted to lift people up and elevate them to a position that they were never meant to hold, where our hope is put in them instead of our hope being put in Jesus. If I haven't already, church, I will disappoint you at some time or another. You know what? Just hang with me long enough today. It'll probably happen today, too. You know, you know, I'll, I'll try to add something that wasn't in my notes, and it'll be a disappointment to myself as well, and you'll just get it out of the way. Okay, there was a disappointment. I apologize. I'm sorry. Let's move on. But if I haven't already, it'll come. There'll be a day where, like, man, Steve really blew it. He, he really let me down. That's because I'm broken. By the grace of God, he's working in me, and, and there's grace, and there's forgiveness, and there's restoration because we sit under his authority first and foremost. If you're married probably know this to be true, that your spouse will let you down at some point or another if they haven't already. And if they haven't already, you're probably newlyweds. <laughs> we'll let each other down. We'll disappoint each other. Our hope is found in Jesus, not in me, not in your pastor or any pastor you have before me, not in, uh, not in your spouse, not in your boss, but our hope is found in Jesus Solomon's going to unpack this even more and begins to talk about the fear of God. But before we get off this, we've got to address that our, our government will disappoint us. I think members say, yeah, I get that, I get this. You've already mentioned that. But especially this time of year, it's unfortunate how many Christ followers I see that forget the truth that our hope is found in Jesus. 
that our hope is found in Jesus. I've seen so much fear-mongering from both leading campaigns and, and their supporters, where I hear things like this from the mouths of Christ fathers who say, this is the most significant presidential election there ever has been and there ever will be. And it makes this grandiose statement. Hang on, hang on a second. Our, our hope is found in Jesus. And I'll say, well, no, but, but your candidate's an absolute moron. Well, well, so is yours. And, well, hang on a second. Our hope is found in Jesus. Well, but, but your candidate's unfit for the office. Well, so is yours. We, we get these battles. Well, hang on a second. Our hope is found in Jesus. Do you see a pattern here? Our hope is found in Jesus, not our government, not our president. And, and as for this fear-mongering, if you're a part of it, stop. You're scaring the children. I mean, so, so how do we proceed in this? Okay, Steve, are you saying that, that I should or shouldn't vote? Are you trying to leave me one? I'm saying let's start from the place of remembering that our hope is found in Jesus. That no matter what atrocities happen in this world, no matter how bleak you may think it's going to be or how bleak it may become, we still have great hope and joy found in Jesus. Honestly, when I see some of these seasons of politics that get particularly nasty, man, I, I, I just keep coming back to that. Even some of these places, I'm like, you know what? I'm not sure what to do. But I'm grateful that my hope is found in Jesus. So one way we can proceed is, again, acknowledge that those who are in authority apart from God will disappoint us. So be cautious about who we grant authority in our life, who we submit to, and seek a just way to live under it. And I realize there's some an authority over us that we don't have control over. Well, I didn't vote for that guy, but he's already in that position. Or I didn't vote for her or him or whoever it is. They're already in this position of authority over my life. Okay, well, seek a just way to live under that authority. A way that honors God. A way that's built upon the truth that our hope is found in Jesus. Let's continue. Verse 10. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Remember, vanity, this is meaningless is what he's saying. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, that there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. It's also meaningless, he's saying. Well, as I've become a dad um, and grown in that, I've had uh, coming up on seven years of, of being a dad, I, I've built my arsenal of dadisms, my, my dad sayings. And yes, some of them are bad jokes and bad puns that should never be repeated in public, but whatever. It's just because they're not funny, not because they're inappropriate. Um, but there's these other sayings I just find myself saying all the time either to my kids or just you know, as a result of having kids. And one of them is this. One of the worst things that can happen when you play with fire, when you do a foolish act, when you play with fire, is that you not get burned. And I say one of the worst. I realize the worst thing that could happen is, you know, death or, or severe burning. I, realize, I acknowledge all that. Uh, but one of the worst things that could happen when you are, are foolish enough to play with fire is that you not get burned. Why? Because next time, you'll be more careless. Because you think, oh, it didn't hurt me the first time. I can do this thing again. 
And if you don't get burned the second time, you, you, you grow in that carelessness and that foolishness, the point where you've lost any respect or fear for that which can bring pain, hurt, and death. That's how we treat sin in our life. There, there's some sin that has an immediate reaction. If you went home, busted out your winter wear, pulled on your ski mask, went down to the gas station, and, and tried to help hold them up and, and rob the place, okay, the cops are coming right then and there. There's going to be immediate repercussions for that sin, for trying to steal. But there's other sins that we commit sometimes in the private of our home um, or, or the privacy of our minds. And we think, wow, I, I just sinned and nothing happened. There's no consequence that, that, that's destroying my home or my life, and you know, I, I kind of got a freebie. And it emboldens us to, to, to walk that road again, and we, we sin again the same way. Well, hang on a sec, that didn't destroy my family either. And Solomon unpacks this more, saying, hey, I, I've seen people who walk a, a righteous life, and yet they've experienced the things that you would expect the, the wicked to experience. And I've seen people who walk a wicked life, and yet they're experiencing the things you would expect a righteous person. It doesn't match up. We kind of talked about this uh, when we started last week, saying that this whole concept of, of karma is not true. And we really understand what it says. We don't want it to be true because we don't want what we deserve because we deserve death because of our sin. We want the grace and forgiveness that is found in Jesus. We're saying, hey, it doesn't seem to match up. It doesn't seem to line up that you could live a great life and experience all kinds of hardships. Or you could be an evil, wicked person and, and just coast through life. Because Solomon's saying here, uh, jump to verse 11. Look back at that. The sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. He's saying there's times where the consequences for our sins is not experienced right away. But he gets to this place where he starts talking about the fear of God. Think of it this way. You can have a, a well-trained soldier who's been taught, here's what you do in battle. You keep your head down, keep your gun clean. Here's all the different things you got to make sure you're physically fit. And you can have a well-trained soldier who does everything right, and yet they still die. They're still in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and, and catch their death. In the same way as in life, likewise, a follower of Christ can walk righteously and yet still have hardship and pain in life. So Solomon's saying, hey, instead of getting caught up in, in, in sin that may not show its ugly face right away, instead be in a place of fearing God. And I know for some of us, this is, this is a, a challenging concept. Fear is a bad thing, right? It means you're scared of someone. That there's a different kind of fear, a fear that brings life. You should have a healthy fear of playing in traffic, right? Or, or of uh, any kind of weapon that can bring pain or death. Or any situation, Right? You know that the, statistically, and this is just proves that stats don't show the whole story, statistically you're more likely to die taking a selfie than you are from a shark. Just being honest, that's, that's where the stats fall as far as how many people have died from a selfie versus from shark attacks. Does that mean that selfies are more deadly than sharks? No, <laughs> no. Because <laughs> we, we see that and we acknowledge that. That's why we're not just walking around, well, swimming around with sharks all the time on purpose. There's some are, but we realize that danger and we, we, we take a step back from that. Whereas selfish we see as harmless and so, but, you know, so they don't tell the whole story there. So there's some things that we know, this, this is a healthy fear of sharks because they can take my life. And, and so we acknowledge the supremacy of God, the holiness of God, 
the power of God, yes, there should bring about in us a healthy fear that brings life. So if we fear God above all else, then we submit to his authority above all else. And Solomon says there in verse 12, it will go well for us. And you, but Steve, you just said there's some holy people who experience uh, the life of, of hardship and, and what you expect from someone who lives a life of wickedness. How, how can you say that it will be well for them? We have to broaden our view. We're just looking at this life under the sun. When we look at the scope of eternity, <coughs> look at the scope of eternity, this life under the sun is just a mere moment. The best illustration I've seen to understand eternity is imagine a big long rope stretched out and I have the, the beginning of the rope right here and this very end of the rope, that's your entire life under the sun and the rope doesn't end. And so you compare it to eternity, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is just a moment. Yes, it feels like this is all there is because that's all we've experienced so far. We haven't experienced eternity in paradise and heaven with God, but it will go well with us to fear God, to fully submit under his authority. Maybe not always in this life. We'll still experience hardship and pain potentially. There's no promise that we won't, but it will go well with us. We'll have eternity in paradise. And he says, you know what? For those that don't pursue God, those that don't fear God, those that chase after wickedness, it will not extend your days. Well, hang on, Steve, but Solomon just said, I've seen the wicked who've lived a long life and experienced a, a, a good life. How can you say it won't extend their days? Again, it doesn't matter how long their life is under the sun in the scope of eternity. And if the life they leave is, is one apart from God that ends apart from God, ends in separation from him. It doesn't extend their days. Their eternity is, is apart from God. So we can't prolong one's days under the sun. I, I love that concept of like a shadow because one is a shadow at its longest when the sun's just about down. And the, the, sun or the shadow stretches out, stretches out like, oh, wow, look how long my days are. And all of a sudden the sun's gone and the shadow's gone. And that's what it'll be like for those who don't trust in God, who won't come to a place of fearing God and placing themselves under his authority. As they'll say, hey, look how long my life is, how good it, good it is. And all of a sudden the sun goes down, the day is over, and it's an end. So let us submit ourselves to God above all else. Be cautious about those who we give authority, who we submit ourselves to. Seek a just way to live under the authority, uh, for those in authority will disappoint us. The ways we can live this out, we talked about with, with the living uh, Seek a just way to live under authority is to keep God's commands and be patient, looking for the right time after we've done all this. So we're pursuing God. We want to live under his authority first and foremost. We're doing all these things. We're being cautious. We're looking for a just way to live under authority. What do we do next? Well, Solomon kind of wraps it up here. Verse 15. And I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night uh, do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find out, even though a wise man claims to know. He cannot find out. Solomon's saying there's still so much that we cannot know, but here's what we have discovered. After we've walked this road of submitting fully to God, eat, drink, and be merry. Do you know what he means by that? If you really unpack what he's truly talking about, you know what he means by that? It means eat, drink, and be merry. No, seriously. There's no hidden meaning in this. He's saying enjoy 
life under the sun. Call up your friends, have a barbecue, ha have whatever your favorite thing is. Maybe it's cucumber sandwiches. I don't know, I used to like those as a kid. Maybe you still do. But find whatever that is. Go and eat and, and, and share in that with others. What we're going to do after this gathering today is biblical. Steve's just a potluck. No, no. We're going to eat, drink, and be merry. We're going to go and, and, and join together in a meal. And we're going to uh, share in the joy and the peace that is found in submitting ourselves to the authority of God and to fearing him and finding life in that. So well, what should we eat? Whatever you enjoy. We can look through Scripture to make sure that we're, we're following God's word in that. What should I drink? Is he, is he talking about beer? Can, am I being told to go drink a beer in church? If that's what you want. I, honestly. We, we, yes, we do need to walk in line with Scripture. And so each one of these things, you know, okay, we can look at other Scriptures that Jesus would talk about and say, don't give in to drunkenness. Don't cause a brother to stumble. So if you're in front of someone who you know struggles with alcohol, I, I know there's this, this movement in our, in our culture where certain communities look at alcohol as a community builder. It's a, it's a gathering thing. Hey, we all come together and we, we have a beer. We talk about uh, the seven different beers we're brewing in our basement and, and whatever. And we do all this kind of stuff. And, and that's fine and that's cool. In, in many communities, and I would argue that our community is one of those still, majority people still see alcohol as a destructive thing. And so we need to be mindful of that. that if I'm going to drink in front of someone, is that someone who, whose family's been torn apart by alcoholism, by, by, by drinking? If there's even a chance of that, you know, I should be able to say, I'm, yes, I have a right under Christ and the freedom in following Christ to drink alcohol. I'm going to set that aside for the sake of a brother or a sister. I don't want to cause them to stumble. And so I don't need that right now. Do we eat and drink in a way that doesn't harm our witness? For Christ? Does it make much of Jesus? If there's a question behind that, then just hold off. Wait till you're home and you can do it in a way where you know it's not going to cause someone to stumble, where you know it's, it's not going to harm your witness for Christ. But if we're following according to Scripture, is there anything wrong with drinking alcohol? No. So eat, drink, and be merry, enjoy life, and sleep with joy and peace in your heart at night. Do you know when you don't have to worry about cops when you, when you drive down the road and, and you drive by a cop who's, who's got the speed gun out? You know when you don't have to worry about them? When you're not speeding. Makes sense, right? Do, do, do you know when you don't have to worry about your boss standing over your shoulder? When, when you're working hard. When, when you're working the way you, you should be. Do, do you know when you don't have to worry about getting audited by the IRS? When you've paid your taxes. And I know that there's always room for mistakes in there and there's grace and we can walk those roads. But as a whole, we don't need to fear authorities in our life when we're walking according to God's word. When we're, then we can eat and drink and be merry. We can find peace under the authority of God. So what is your next step in light of this truth? In light of this wisdom that, that Solomon just shared with us, what, what is your next step? Is there an authority in your life that you have control over, meaning that you've placed yourself under that authority that you can and need to pull yourself out of? Maybe it's, it's someone who's been teaching you some things that, that, that aren't honoring to God. Maybe you've, you've submitted yourself to your friend's influence and their authority in, their, in your life. Maybe you need to be in a, a better influence to them. What steps do you need to take? Where do you need to be cautious? Maybe, maybe you're looking to make a step in life and go into a new school or a new job or a new workplace. Are you being cautious in that? What's your next step? Maybe you've been hurt by someone in authority. 
How do you work in a way that is just and brings God honor? Maybe you need to explore that. Let us ask this question of ourselves. What is our next step in light of this truth? And let us go to bed after we eat, drink, and be merry and find peace in the authority of God. Let's pray. Father God, you are an amazing God. We thank you so much for who you are and for what you're doing. Uh, we ask that you just continue to work in and through our lives, Father God. Help us to keep you as uh, the, the first and, and fullest authority in our lives. That we would fully submit to you, Father, into your word, into what you would call us to do. And there's ways, I'm sure, Father, that come to mind right off the bat in which we've been walking away from you. Help us to come to a place of repentance, of turning and saying, I'm going to turn from that, I'm going to go back to you, Father. We thank you for your forgiveness that is found in Jesus. Father, I pray that we would uh, examine the different authorities that we've placed ourselves under and the other authorities that uh, we maybe don't have a decision in, Father, but find ourselves other, under. Bring to light, bring to mind how we can live justly under those authorities, knowing that, yes, they'll disappoint, but we have a God in heaven who won't. So we trust in you, Jesus, because you are the hope of the world. Praise on your name. Amen.